Welcome, everyone, from the United States and from around the world as we come to you from a beautiful day here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. It's 11 o'clock on a beautiful feast of Our Lady, who is right here next to me. This concludes the octave that started last week with the Assumption of Mary, and today we celebrate the coronation, uh, the Queenship of Mary, and what a beautiful day to talk about angels. And I have to apologize right up front. Um, and I'm giving you guys a chance to click out and, 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 and cancel your viewing today if you wish. But I did announce that I was going to be covering both angels and spiritual warfare today. And that was fully my intention until last night about 10 o'clock when I was going through all of this, uh, putting together my thoughts, and I just realized instead of racing through and having one giant long talk today, why don't we split it and do a, a slower, shorter talk today, and then next week we'll do spiritual warfare. So today we'll focus on the, um, the angels and the critical importance of this forgotten army. And so um, we're happy you with us. I hope you'll still stay with us. If you tuned in for spiritual warfare, that'll be next week. I promise I'll do my best on that. But today is really exciting because there's so much on the angels that as I went back to my seminary notes in St. Thomas Aquinas, even I'm blown away by this gift of, of God. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruinous souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And we especially ask Our Lady today on the Feast of the Queenship to protect us. And so today... As you saw on the slide, we're going to be talking about this forgotten army of the angels. Now, on the next slide, I'd like to continue to show you that this is this whole Saturday talks, which I'm, I'm hoping you guys are getting a lot of letters um, and we really appreciate your support. Uh, but they, they're based on this, the um, DVD series that I have out called Explaining the Faith. And these are um, these talks are inspired from that DVD that you can get either hard copy by visiting shop mercy.org um, or you can visit our website thedivinemercy.org slash explaining the faith or you can call 800 462 7426 um, as well to get a hard copy or live streamed as I mentioned so God bless all of you and this is exciting for me because this talk on the angels is so powerful, yet we don't understand them. I'm sorry, not the talk is powerful, but the angels are powerful. And, and, but we don't understand them. And so let us begin. Now, what is interesting, let's look at our, our next slide. Who are the angels? All right, we know the saints. We know the saints very well, but who are these angels? Look to your left on that slide. These are the nine choirs of angels from the seraphim, the cherubim, thrones, dominions, powers, principalities, angels, archangels. We're going to talk about each of those groups and explain to you their role. But as I said, we know the saints, but we don't really know who are the angels. 
And this is, this is so important. All right. They are servants. They are basically messengers of God. That is their role. The name angel is, it means a messenger. Now, Jesus said that they always behold the face of my father who is heaven. Can you imagine your whole job for all of eternity is to gaze upon the face of God? Well, father, I would get bored. No, no, you wouldn't. Um, and we'll tell you why. Remember, heaven is outside of time. There's no sequential time. That was created for us on earth. And, um, and these angels, their job was to behold the face of God and to be messengers to the human race. And so St. Augustine then said, angel is the name of their office. That means what they do, not their nature. Because why? What is their nature? The nature of the angel is pure spirit. Remember, we are spirit and body composite. We are both body and soul. The angels are just spirit. So we'll talk about that. Now, as purely spiritual creatures, they, however, have intelligence like us, actually superior to ours, and they have a free will like us. They had the choice to accept God or not. They are personal, but they are also immortal. So they surpass in perfection all visible creatures, mankind, human beings, and the animals. So they are superior by nature. But as we'll talk in a minute, when you add grace into the picture, then all of a sudden man is elevated. Oh, this is good stuff. So stay with us. All right. Catholics, we must believe in the existence of angels. These are in heaven as well as the fallen that were evicted from heaven by Michael and his team. Um, these are who we call the demons or the fallen angels. And next week we will explain fully about the demons um, that fell from the sky that day. The existence of these spiritual beings, as I said, are what we call non-corporeal, non-body, right? But they are a truth of our faith. We must believe this. Unlike last week where I talked about the days of darkness or a couple of weeks ago or on my video, you are not required to, to, to believe in private revelation, um, even accepted private revelation. But in dogmatic revelation, which means directly revealed by God or in the Bible, we have to believe. So the existence of angels is the highest level, what we call dogma. Now, what's the difference between dogma and doctrine? You've probably heard this. I'm going to make it as simple as I can. Dogma is the highest level, which means it was directly given to us by God in the words of Jesus or in Holy Scripture. Now, doctrine is church teaching which also is important, but not all doctrine is dogma. What do I mean by that? Everything that the church teaches is doctrine, but not all that doctrine is dogma. So if the church teaches it, it is doctrine. But when does a doctrine become dogma? It becomes dogma when it has been expressly revealed by God in sacred scripture or sacred capital T tradition, not small T tradition. Like I keep going back to the um, revelations of certain saints about the end times, for instance, which is important. And we, we, we talked about that, but this is dogmatic. 
Thus, the existence of angels and demons is a dogma of our faith, like Mary next to me. The five Marian dogmas. Remember those? We have to believe those as Catholics. The Immaculate Conception of Mary, the Assumption of Mary, uh, the Perpetual Virginity of Mary, Mary the Mother of God, because these are all... Um, you know, um, and then um, the, yeah, the Immaculate Conception. Um, and, you know, surprisingly, though, the coronation uh, or the um, queenship of Mary is not one of the five dogmas. And so we have to understand these are what are so important that we say dogma, we must follow. Okay, so, however, some details about these angels may not be required for belief. We call that speculative theology, right? Speculative theology, like cities having guardian angels. That is not necessarily something, or priests having two guardian angels. That's more a small t tradition. So regarding these things, you don't have to believe it, but it's not against church teaching, <clears throat> okay? So let's look at this. What are the angels then? I gave you a little bit about who they are, but what are they? What are they? I said they were pure spirit. They're spiritual persons, as I said, without bodies, meaning messengers um, or beholding the face of God. They intercede for us. Now, what's interesting is they cannot multiply. They are immortal, so there's no need for marriage with the angels. Two angels do not marry each other because there's no need to procreate. God created all the angels at the beginning of time, and he doesn't, um, they don't need to procreate like we do, mortal human beings on this earth, even though our souls are immortal. Angels can't multiply. They were all created at the beginning of time. Now, the name, however, of each archangel reflects a certain facet of the nature of God. What do I mean? What's that, Father? What do you mean? All right. When an angel was given a name by God, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, we don't name the angels. But when God did, they represent a certain facet of God. Let's look at our next slide. St. Michael. What does that mean? There's St. Michael. You know that famous picture you see on your screen. That is, who is like God? So that's why when Satan rebelled, he was basically, his answer to Satan was like, who's like God? What are you trying to do here? And... Our next slide is St. Gabriel. We know the powerful, there's a true messenger, Gabriel. That means the power of God. So God had the power to give a virgin, a mac, not only immaculate conception, but God had the power for her to conceive the son of God in her womb. So Gabriel means the power of God. Let's look at our next slide. St. Raphael. That means God heals. God heals. So they all see you. They have a role here. These are three of the named archangels in scripture. Although scripture does suggest they are seven archangels. And what's really powerful about this is I believe Faustina's guardian angel was one of those seven. And I'll tell you why towards the end. We have that there's a suggestion of seven archangels. Basically, we know the name of the three. St. Gabriel delivered the most important messages in human history, uh, bringing the Annunciation to Mary. 
St. Michael wrestled with Lucifer and cast him and his demons out of heaven, down onto earth and eventually into hell. St. Raphael, for eternity, there is a hell now. St. Raphael came to the aid of Tobias in the Old Testament, right? So here's the point. Of these angels, God asks favors of them and they always deliver. I ask myself and all of you that same question. When God asks us a favor, like maybe to forgive someone or to apologize to someone or whatever it might be, to humble ourselves, whatever it might be, do we always do it? It'd be nice if we did, but not always. All right, here's the next common question. Father, who's higher, the angels or mankind? All right, angels are higher than man by grace. Okay, by grace, meaning they were, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Angels are higher than man by nature, meaning they were created higher. They have superior intellects. They're not constrained by space and time. They don't get sick. By nature, angels are higher than man, but by grace of the incarnation and the immaculate conception, man was elevated above the angel, especially Mary. She's above all the angels. So this is powerful. Let's look at our next slide. That's where we see Mary, the queen of angels. We, we actually have this framed canvas or unframed gallery wrap, beautiful canvas image. If you visit divinemercyart.com, you can actually get from our store, handmade by seminarians, that beautiful image you see on your screen, plus many other images, Divine Mercy, uh, many other images of Mary. But you look on your screen how beautiful that is, Mary, Queen of the Angels. If you visit divinemercyart.com, you can get those. They're beautiful. But why? Because the incarnation and the immaculate conception of Mary. <clears throat> as I said, we now honor Mary as our queen. What does that mean in the Davidic kingdom from which Jesus came? Who was the queen? The mother, not the wife of the king, the mother of the king. And Jesus has kept that through the years. All right, as I said, by nature, the angels are higher than us. They have knowledge that's vast. It's infused into them. So they know more than us. They have naturally infused knowledge, which they know more than us. And although they know more, they still have free will, as I said. So they had to pass the test. Do they accept God? And if not, other angels rebelled. A third of the angels rebelled and were thrown from the sky from heaven that day. As I said, they don't marry because they don't need to reproduce. They don't get sick, as I said, not constrained by space and time. However, speaking of the fallen angels, let's look at our next slide. Again, this will be the topic of next week's talk. So again, if you just joined us late, I apologize. I wanted to do angels and spiritual warfare today. We are gonna do this next week for the spiritual warfare, but this week we're gonna do the angels. But many of these angels that were good, created good by God, ontologically good, fell from the sky. Why? They became the demons because they rebelled and their desire is to bring us down too. Again, next week's spiritual warfare talk. This higher group by nature is called the angel and they give help to us, the lower group, if they are a good angel or they want to destroy us. 
for all eternity if they are the bad angel or the demons. All right, but many times, here's the point. We ignore this group, both sides of it. We ignore the good angels who are trying to help us, think we can do it all on our own, and we ignore the danger of the bad angels who are seeking, as we just prayed in the St. Michael prayer, who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. These are real, and they're trying to drag us down. So we need to be aware of both. All right, so let's go to this question. Why did God create the angels? All right, out of mercy, just like he created us. God did not have to share his perfect love of the Trinity with anything. The Father love and the Holy Spirit, or the love between the Father and the Son is so great that it, it generated a third person, the Holy Spirit, just like a father and a wife. Husband and a wife, their love is so great that the love between them generates a third person, the Holy, the child. So it's like a mirror of the Trinity. The love between the Father and the Son is so great, from it comes the Holy Spirit. Not created, always they existed. But here's the point. God did not have to share that love with anyone or anything. Out of mercy, he let that love pour outside of the Trinity, out into creation, of the world, the mankind, and the angels. So that's why God created the angels. All his acts of creation are acts of mercy because he didn't have to create. He didn't have to share his love. It was perfect, but he did. He let it overflow. And also he created them out of beauty. Look at the world. When you go outside and you just look up here in Western Massachusetts, the beautiful mountains and the beautiful rivers and and Brother Mark and I haven't known but only a couple times to go fishing in the last year. And it's like one of the one few things after working seven days a week and 14 to 16 hour days that I look forward to. We haven't even had the chance to get out to enjoy the beauty of God's creation. And if God's creation is this beautiful, here's what the saints tell us. That how much more varied and diverse is the invisible world and more beautiful than our visible world. So angels partake in that beauty of the invisible world. That's another reason God created them, beauty. Now, what about the number of angels? Let's look at our next slide. It's numberless, if you can imagine that. The angels are numberless. Each angel is its own species, according to Thomas Aquinas. This is incredible. What does that mean, Father? Well, do you know all of us human beings are one species, right? Homo sapien, we are one species. Every single angel, you know you have different species of animals, okay? You have, you have um, felines, the cats. You have the canines, the dogs. Um, you, 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 ha you have the primates, the apes. They're all different species of animals. We are one species as humans, but do you know every angel is a different species? That's mind boggling. And, and so they are very different. Um, the civilization of the angels is infinitely more vast than our human civilization. You just saw that on the last slide. Like us, they were created to love God and to be loved by God. So angels were among the first of God's creatures that God made, even before us. So this is very important. All right, what about angels in salvation history? Angels have been present and active in major moments of salvation history. You all know them. I don't need to say them, but let's remind you of a few. You know, Mary was visited by Gabriel at the Annunciation in Luke chapter one. 
her cousin um, was told, uh, Elizabeth and, and Zebedee, excuse me, Zebedee was told by an angel that his wife, Elizabeth, her cousin, would bear a son named John. This is also Luke chapter one. Jesus was ministered by the angels after fasting for 40 days in the wilderness and after being tempted by the devil in Matthew 4. This is one of the most powerful pictures. Let's look at our next slide. Isn't that just a striking painting? I've always loved this, even since I was a kid. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was in agony, he was ministered by the angels, quote, to strengthen him, an angel from heaven appeared to him. That's Luke twenty-two forty-three. Wow, what a powerful image. All right, now let's get into about the angel levels. This is fascinating to me because it helps us understand their rule given by God. All right, the angel hierarchy, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, which has been adapted as church teaching. All right. St. Thomas is called the angelic doctor. So if you're named Thomas or you go to St. Thomas Parish, um, whatever it might be, that's, that might be a patron saint for you. But he's called the angelic doctor. So his teaching about angels has a very high place in the church. All right. There are three spheres, he says, of angels. And each sphere has three choirs. So we have nine choirs of angels, three spheres of three choirs. So nine choirs. Now, again, we're getting into possibility of some speculative theology here. So please don't write and say, Father Chris, this is not dogmatic. You said the angels are dogmatic. The existence of angels is dogmatic revelation. But what I'm about to go into now gets into some speculative as the writings of Thomas Aquinas. So important. All right. All these descriptions are symbolic. I'm about to show you pictures of these angels. They're very, it's very interesting to see what they look like with a bunch of wheels and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, the descriptions are metaphysical. Remember, they don't have physical bodies. So it's hard for man to describe an angel in a physical sense when they're spirit. But that's how man has always done it. We draw pictures of God. We have paintings of God, even right behind me here at the National Shrine. We have pictures of God the Father. God the Father was never incarnate like Jesus Christ. We can have pictures of Jesus easier, but to have pictures of God the Father is a little harder because he was never incarnate. But we still attribute to him what we see as a father, Abba. All right, so here's what's important. Um, the angels obviously are pure spirits. So what the saints and the prophets were allowed to see was kind of a manifestation that could help us visualize them, all right, and intended to tell us something about these angels. Um, but what is not, I think you should say, but what is not what they really look like, that's not what it is. It's not what they really look like. They are spirit without physical form, but what I'm about to show you in the pictures is kind of who they are. All right, so the first major sphere of the three spheres that has three choirs are called the heavenly counselors. These are the ones I said, gaze on the throne of God. That is their job. Their job in this first choir, excuse me, first sphere these first three choirs is to gaze on the face of God. It starts, let's look at our first slide. 
with the seraphim angels. These are the highest of the angels. The seraphim is the highest. They are the caretakers of God's throne. Now I'm going to have you leave the picture up for a little bit because I want to explain something here. Peter Kreeft said, comprehend, they comprehend God with maximum clarity and therefore their love flames the hottest. Look at the picture there. Seraphim means the burning ones. And look at what's on their, their wings there. It's almost like a burning, like a burning wings that the, the flames are the hottest with love. Um, so anyway, that was the picture I wanted to show. So we can come back now. But anyway, they continuously shout, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. That's right where we get our mass from. The words of the seraphim. You're, you're sitting in mass going, holy, holy, holy. You're singing the words of the seraphim before the throne of God. All right. According to Isaiah, he saw them with six wings. We just saw that. And their primary function, as I said, is to praise God before the throne. Do you know that only three known times in human history has a seraphim angel come down from the throne of God and took his gaze away from the throne, not in rebellion, not in defiance, but to aid a human being. This is incredible. Only three times in human history do we know of. And one was first in scripture, Isaiah, where the seraphim angel held the burning coal to the lips of Isaiah to purify his speech. The other that we know from writings was for St. Francis, right before receiving the stigmata. Powerful stuff. But does anybody know the third time that the seraphim angel appeared? We have it with St. Faustina. St. Faustina says in her diary that when she was sick and couldn't receive Holy Communion, she was obedient, just like some of you that you're, you're being obedient. The church is not open. I wish I could go receive Holy Communion. Our Lord, please help me. And, and St. Faustina said, Lord, I can't receive Holy Communion. And a seraphim angel came to her and administered Holy Communion. And then later she asked him a critical question that shocks the world at his answer. And I'm going to talk about that at the very end, what that seraphim angel said to St. Faustina that will blow your mind. And I'm going to read that quote at the end. It's going to fit in better at that point. So they excel in the love of God. Tradition says that Lucifer was one of these highest of angels, the seraphim. That's what Dr. Kreef says. Satan rebelled and a war broke out in heaven and Michael and his angels threw Satan and the demons back down to earth. That's the seraphim. Now let's look at the next slide, the cherubim angels. This means fullness of wisdom. Cherubim, remember, wisdom is such a high attribute, a high um, a variable. Cherubim have appeared to have in many, many of the saints, the four faces that we see of the gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see one as a man, one as an ox, one as a lion, one as an eagle. I did not show that on this slide. This is another tradition. Um, no, I'm apologized. Yes, it is there. I apologize. That is the right slide. I was afraid I got the wrong slide. You see the four gospel writers in that angel, the four faces of that angel are the man, the ox, the lion, and the eagle. 
So that image is where we get the gospel writers' images from that, that cherubim angel. All right, the symbols of the four evangelists. All right, as well, they have many eyes all over, many wings. That's what Ezekiel 10 tells us about the cherubim. Now, they guard. Here's what's powerful about the cherubim. Do you know their main role? Their role is huge. Only, not only facing God, but they guard the way to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. They guard the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. They are mentioned in six books of the Old Testament. So this is real stuff. Oh, you guys are just uh, hocus pocus, magic, superstition. No, this is revealed by God, right? Um, but now here's what's interesting. Don't confuse the cherubim with this next slide. The cute little chubby angels. These are always called cherubim. These are actually pooty. These are not cherubim angels. This is kind of cute. Don't confuse the cherubim with the puty, the winged human baby toddler-like beings that traditionally are used in figurative art. They are, that's not exactly the same. Some intentions are for them to be the same. But anyway, they excel in the truth of God and they are the angels on the Ark of the Covenant. All right, let's keep going. Thrones. Thrones are the next image. Look at that. What is that? Are those wheels? It's a class of celestial beings mentioned by St. Paul in Colossians 1 verse 16. They are living symbols of God's justice and authority. And they have as their symbol the throne. All right. Now, they are in Daniel and in Ezekiel. Let's keep the image up there because I want you to look. Let's go back to the image. In Ezekiel and Daniel, they are a wheel within a wheel. You see that? You see those wheels there? The rims are covered with hundreds of eyes, and they represent the humility of God. Wow, powerful stuff. Okay, I just completed the first sphere, the three highest angels, the seraphim, the cherubim, and the thrones. Those are the first three choirs, the first sphere. Now let's go to the second sphere of angels, the next three choirs. These angels are the second sphere that work as heavenly governors. Dr. Kreef said they fulfill God's providential plans for the universe. They are more now directly involved in the universe. Not mankind yet, that's kind of the lowest choir but with the workings of the cosmos. So the first sphere is the workings of God. The second sphere is the working of the cosmos. And the third sphere is the workings of man. So in the second sphere, we have these, what we call God's plans for the universe. They're like middle management. They're like the personnel. The first sphere is like, like the, the, the boss. The second sphere we're talking about now is like middle management and the third sphere, the angels and archangels are the worker bees. All right. The first angel in this is the dominions. So let's take a look at the dominions. They are the first angel in this sphere. They appeared in Ephesians and Colossians. Peter Criff says their name means authority. They regulate the duties of the lower angels. They're like the mid-level manager, like your boss at work. Uh, possibly. They are seen as humans with wings. That's the most common perception uh, that we think of these angels as humans with wings. And, but you know, Father, all of these pictures you just showed me are kind of humans with wings. No, 
Not entirely. This one here, um, go, let's go back. Let's put that one back up on the slide. Uh, the Dominions, you see the Dominions here got that human face, the wings. Ironically, these are the ones that are seen as humans with wings. And that's our common perception of the angels. But yet, ironically, they rarely make themselves known to humans. This angel you're looking at that looks like the human, the dominions, rarely makes himself known to humans. All right, we could take that slide down. Now, we're still in the middle sphere. The second choir in that middle sphere are the virtues. Let's take a look at the virtues. All right, let's hold that up there. Their primary duty, let's keep it up on the screen, is to supervise the movements of the heavenly bodies in order to ensure that the cosmos remains in order. They show God's might. So miracles of the cosmos happen through these guys. Miracle signs of nature are through them. I guess you could say an example would be like Mary using them for the miracle of the sun uh, at Fatima, right? All right, now the last of those uh, spheres is the powers. Let's put the powers up. They look similar to the virtues, but they are different. These are powers. Their duty is to oversee the distribution of power in the universe between all the entities of the universe, even mankind here. Now we're starting to get into mankind. The chastisements of God are through them maybe using natural disasters and other things like that. They are known to be warriors. They do direct battle against evil. Man, these are, these are the ones, hence the name powers, right? There's no effeminate, wimpy um, um, uh, attack, or excuse me, response to the attack of evil. They, 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 they come back at it. And, and I'm not saying that we as humans, that means that we have to pick up a sword and start killing people who are evil. Of course not, that's craziness. But what we do is pick up the sword called the rosary to defeat the evil, the demons, and the evil one. That's what I mean by warfare. That's what I'm talking about. We'll talk about that next week. All right, now into the third and final sphere of the last three choirs that do much more dealings with mankind. The angels in the third sphere function as heavenly messengers to God or from God to man. Peter Criff said, they directly order human affairs between God and man. They are also soldiers like Michael, but they are definitely those messengers to man. All right, let's look at the last three. The first and highest of this sphere are the principalities. These are the generals. These are the generals. Their duty is to carry out the orders given to them by the dominions, the higher angels, and give blessings to mankind and the material world. Their task is to oversee groups of people, so now we're getting into the angels that involve us. Kreeft, um, you know, said like nations. Let's, let's look at the next slide, actually. Isn't this a beautiful picture? Uh, look at this angel kind of overseeing the land. I kind of look at that, you know, is, is that America or the West Coast maybe or, or possibly Ireland or great nations. Peter Kreeft says that in the tradition, they oversee nations, cities, and kingdoms. What a beautiful picture that is of an angel overlooking maybe a nation or a kingdom. And this is now again, not that particular part is not dogmatic, but more speculative. They are educators and guardians of the realm of the earth. Most direct, um, I'm sorry, 
most defections from the evil one that led his angels out of heaven in rebellion came from the principalities. Most of the fallen angels came from this group. Why do you think that is? I have a personal opinion on this. I believe it's because Christ, when, when he became man, when God announced his plan to become a man, everything changed in the heavens. What do I mean by that? All right. According to Father Seraphim, so I'm borrowing from him, tradition with a small t now, which means you don't have to believe this, but it's pious tradition, is that a third of the angels are dedicated to adoring the Father. Yes, we have one God, but we have three persons. A third of the angels were dedicated to adoring the Father. A third of the angels were dedicated to adoring the Son. And a third of the angels were dedicated to adoring the Holy Spirit. Now, according to small t tradition, which you don't have to believe, but is pious tradition, is the scriptures, well, with this we know is true, a third of the angels fell from the sky that day. A third of the angels rebelled. Why not a fourth? Why not a fifth? Why not two fifths? I personally believe, this is just my belief, that the third of the angels that fell were the third that were dedicated to adoring the son. Because it was the son who was going to become, and I'm not talking S-U-N, the son of God, S-O-N. Because the son of God was going to become a man. And remember I told you man is below the angel. So you've got these angels basically saying, I'm not going to worship a man. Well, wait a minute. He's the God man. Satan said, no way. Why don't you become an angel? You should become an angel. Not this lowly, slimy creature called mankind. And God reveals his plan that he's going to become a man. Satan, who's this highest angel, this glorious angel of light, Lucifer means the angel of light, said, no way. I will not serve that. I will not serve a broken down, lowly creature. They hadn't been fallen yet, mankind, but they were lower in nature when they were created than the angels. So the third, again, small t tradition that were dedicated to adoring the sun, kind of are the ones that I believe are some, you know, theologians, speculative theology or small t tradition think that said, that's it. We're rebelling. We're not going to worship a man. And that was the third that fell. It's fascinating to me, but that's why these angels, the principalities are interceding for us for obedience. If you want to grow in one of the most important virtues of all obedience to God and his church, these are the angels to turn to, the principalities. They are the ones, the most of the tradition is that the ones that fell most came from this choir. All right, so let's go to the next choir, the archangels. Now we're in the eighth choir, right? The archangels, these are the chief angels, like the, like the officers. You know that famous picture you see on your screen? There's St. Michael, right? The archangel. Now they are mentioned in Thessalonians and in Jude, okay? Gabriel and Michael are mentioned in the New Testament. Raphael, uh, in the old, he said to Tobias that he was 
quote, one of the seven who stand before the Lord. And I, I told you, remember, I want to tell you something about St. Faustina, that I believe her guardian angel was one of those seven. All right. One of the seven, he said, who stand before the Lord. And it is generally believed that Michael and Gabriel are two of the other six, along with Raphael. Michael is the protector of Israel and of the church, right? It is possible. However, if you're saying, Father, I thought Michael was the highest of all angels. Now you're telling me he's in this eighth choir called the archangels? Okay, this gets a little confusing. Try to bear with me now. Some theologians say it's possible to make a distinction between an archangel with a lower case A. That's the eighth choir of archangels. We don't know the others. There's many. There's more than seven in the sense of, excuse me, there's more than three. We know this. But there's also the capital uppercase A archangel. The little case A could denote the second lowest choir, as we said, but the uppercase A, the archangel with a capital A, may denote the highest of all the angels. Example, the archangels in the sense of being above all other angels, above any choir, and Michael may be one. Some theologians disagree on this. Michael is by nature a member of the second lowest choir. The archangels, I'm in the eighth choir now. There's nine. So the second lowest choir, Michael by nature is in from that choir. However, some theologians, again, speculative theology, please, believe that when Satan rebelled and Michael took over and demanded, stepped up of all the angels and said, who are you? Who else is like God? That's what the name Michael means. Who is like God? So when, when, when Michael stepped up and said, there is no one like God, pious tradition of some of the saints is that God then elevated Michael to be the commander of all the heavenly hosts above all others. That's amazing. So that shows it's, 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 it fits in fitting with what God has done before. Mankind is created lower than the angel, but by grace, he elevated us through the incarnation and the immaculate conception above the angels. Mary's the queen of angels. So mankind's been elevated by grace above the nature, although he's created below them. It makes the same sense with Michael. Michael was created just as an eighth choir by nature. He's in the archangels, but because of grace and him stepping forward, God elevated him, some theologians believe in pious tradition, above all the other angels. Wow, that is powerful stuff. How many of us know this? I mean, this, this is how God gives us these gifts, especially of the angels. All right, now, Let's go to the last group, the ninth choir, the angels. And from this last choir come our guardians, the angel. This is basically the infantry. This is the army, all right? They are the ones most concerned with the affairs of living people, living things. Within the category of angels, there are different kinds with different functions, all right? Remember, each angel, as I said, is its own species. 
and the angels are sent as messengers to mankind and they deliver our prayers to God. Let's look at the next slide. Very powerful. What's going on there? See that man broken at the throne of God? That's us. What is going on? His, his guardian angel there to the right is taking his prayers to the throne of God. We always talk about the saints and that's great. We should talk about the saints. The saints can intercede for us, but God gives us another army called the angels. And your, your guardian angel can take your prayers to the throne of God and not only deliver your prayers as we see in this picture, but to pray for you before God. They are the most caring and social to assist those who ask for help. And there's way more than them than us. Only select numbers of angels were selected to be guardian angels. And you watching this were given one. Every living human being was for all eternity given a guardian angel. They were just waiting for you to be conceived and born so that they could begin their work as, as guardian angels. Fascinating. So let's talk about that right now. Let's go to the next slide. Our guardian angels. This is that traditional picture. I put this picture up there because this was the picture hanging on the room that I would always have at my grandma's house. When I would go to my grandma's house, God rest her soul. And I was a little kid. I would sleep in, in their guest room and that was the picture. I would just stare at as a kid. I would just be enthralled with this picture. And that might have a little older, a little, um, an older sister. I'm the little brother. And God bless my sister, Pam. Uh, she's the greatest Christian I know. Here I'm the priest and, and I'm the one learning from her how to be a good Christian. And I see this little girl walking that little boy. And I used to just look at that picture and say, that's me. And there's my sister helping me get through oh, the bridge of danger. But yet who is with us? This guardian angel. This is who they are. Our own guardian angels are chosen by God from this list of the nine choirs called angels. All right. No human knows us better or loves us more than our guardian angels. It's perfect love. Each guardian angel reflects an aspect of God's goodness. You know, that's why certain people have different attributes. Like here in our Marian community, we have the extremely, extremely intelligent, like Father Mike Gately. We have the extremely generous and kind and loving, like Father Kaz. Um, each one seems to like be given a different type of um, gift. And I think the guardian angels fit into that. Um, you have extremely powerful advocate here in your guardian angel. They are the guardians of our safety and our salvation. And they obtain for us the grace of final perseverance. So the angels do a lot of stuff. In fact, let's take us to the next slide. The ministry of guardian angels. I love this. The ministry of the guardian angels. Let's walk through this right now. What do they do for us? Well, they ward off dangers to the body and the soul. We have no idea. You went, maybe you got in the car yesterday and drove to the store and came back, sat back down and watched television. Never thought a thing of it. Do you realize that it is possible that you left five minutes later or five minutes earlier where you might have been in great danger of an accident or something happened to you because of your guardian angel? All right, next, they remove the near occasion of sin and temptations. This is why it's important that you follow that grace. Don't invoke um, things in your mind like uh, anger or impurity. The guardian angel is working to avoid that stuff. All right. 
What about the next one? Preventing Satan's suggestions of sin. Satan has access to your intellect. He can throw things in your mind like a video recorder, replay old sins or sins of vengeance or revenge or lust or anger, but he can't touch your will. And your guardian angel can help protect you in choosing to do the right thing. Even if Satan's pumping your mind with junk, and we're going to talk about this next week in spiritual warfare, how Satan does that. All right, let's keep going. Next, he fosters in us holy thoughts and desires. That's why when you have that inspiration to go to church or go to prayer or watch this live stream, that's your guardian angel. God is behind it all, of course. Father, that's from God. Of course, all grace is from God. But it's administered through Mary and the saints and even the angels. And so let's look at that. So now what else do they do? Next slide is offering our prayers to God and they pray for us. Here's a good one. Nobody likes this. They correct us if we sin. How do we do that? Our conscience. They prick at our conscience. I need to go to confession. I need to do that. All right. Helping us at, um, in the, um, oh, I spelled a typo there. Sorry. Helping us at the moment of death, in the agony of death is what that's supposed to say there. Helping us in the agony of death. All right. And finally, conducting our souls to heaven or purgatory. And if it's purgatory, they console us when we get there. St. Faustina was taken by her guardian angel into the pits of purgatory, even hell too. And so the guardian angel stays with you. And we're talking about St. Faustina is a huge part. Stay with us because Faustina is coming up. All right. Now, the goal of the guardian angel is to guide the human race, even non-Christians. Father, do non-Christians have guardian angels? Yes, they do. Because God puts the natural law in their heart to still find a way to him. As a Christian, you have it much easier because God gives you the sacraments. God gives you the grace of the Holy Scripture. God gives you the guidance of the magisterium. So to be a Catholic, you have all the tools. But non-Christians, they still have the natural law. They still have their guardian angels. And we pray for them, right? It's, it's harder, but they can find God through that gift. All right. All right. Your guardian angel has been waiting for you. It's is amazing since the beginning of creation. Can you imagine that? Back to when God created the angels, they were waiting for you, your guardian angel. It's almost like God saying to you, all right, Martha, I have but one task for you in your entire existence. You're an angel now. Think about this. You're an angel. And God says to you, angel Martha, I have but one task for you. That one task is to protect this human being. When they are born in 1960. And when they are born, your job is to take care of them. Through my grace, but with your protection. You don't think that that guardian angel isn't going to do everything in his power to help you turn to him, ask for his help. This is powerful stuff. Your guardian angel is waiting for you and your relationship with that guardian angel will continue in heaven. It will. This is amazing. Their task is not completed until we gaze upon the face of God. That's their goal is to get you to the finish line. It's like a coach. Our coaches used to, when we would, when I played football in high school, we had a very tough head coach, but we had a very loving 
assistant coach, kind of the big good cop, bad cop. And we'd be running. It would be, you know, 98 degrees on two days in the middle of the end of July, beginning of August. And, and the assistant coach would run with me, just getting me on. You're going to get to the finish. You're going to get to the finish. That's what they do for us. All right, now let's go to the next slide. This is a powerful image. Oh, what's going on? Let's leave this image up for a bit. What is going on there? That is the mass. And I'm going to be doing another mass walkthrough coming up. Check our website. I'm going to reset all the dates and the topics of the talks. And I'm sorry, we've been kind of veering off those talk topics. But on our website, Shrine of Mercy, Shrine of Divine Mercy, um, we're going to get an updated posting this week of all my talks, times, and topics. All right. But you've heard me say this. This is the mass. What is going on at the mass? There is Jesus front and center on the cross. Remember, I've told you at the mass, you are at Calvary. You are there as Jesus is paying your debt to sin. Why did Jesus die on the cross? You heard me say this before. It's in my old talk on explaining the faith called Divine Mercy 101. Christ died on the cross because the penalty for sin is death. Let's keep this image up there. This is awesome. The penalty for sin is death. But when you come to mass, we're not recreating Christ's death. You are there at Calvary as Jesus is paying that penalty for death. So at the mass, you are there. Now, the saints tell us, Pope Benedict said in spirit of the liturgy, when you come to mass, the roof of the church opens up and heaven and earth are united. The angels ascend and descend and they come and they are part of the mass. Look at this picture. Who's at the altar? These are the guardian angels. Your guardian angel, when you are present at mass, comes forward at the moment of consecration. This is the, the tradition of the church. And they stand or kneel at the altar. I've heard kneeling. I've heard standing. But what they do is they bring forth vessels. And the vessels that they bring forth are what you put into their vessel. So when you come to mass, put all your joys, your sorrows, your prayers, your penances into that vessel for your guardian angel. And send your guardian angel to the throne of the altar to be placed on that patent. And that patent, see the priest? What's the priest doing? He's raising the chalice, the precious blood, and the patent up to God the Father. This is God the Son returning all of creation back to God the Father from which it came. And your guardian angels are there delivering you as part of that sacrifice bringing you through the vessel of what you put into the mass, giving to Christ to be, go back to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. The mass is God offering God to God, God the Holy Spirit, offering in sacrifice Christ, his sacrifice, which Christ offered himself, but offered by the Holy Spirit to God the Father for atonement for our sins and the sins of the whole world. It's God offering God to God and your guardian angels are in the thick and the middle of it. In fascinating and important stuff. All right, let's keep going. Okay, so um, Maria Agreta, who was a visionary, uh, Brother Mark, one of his favorites, the city of God, I think it was called, um, taught that the Blessed Virgin Mary had hundreds of guardian angels, including St. Michael and St. Gabriel. All right, in pious traditions, I said this before, it says that Catholic priests have two guardian angels. And I always laugh. I say, why? Because we need them. 
All right, Monsignor Charles Pope speculates, again, I underline the word speculates, that each priest might have a guardian angel and an empowering angel for his ministry. All right, some teach that dioceses and parishes have their own particularly principality. That's one of the nine choirs assigned to them. So pastors and bishops would have their own guardian angel as well as a principality assigned to the parish or the diocese. Again, speculative, but important. It would seem even me as Father Joseph, I'm the head of the Association of Marian Helpers. I believe that there's a principality given to those members and, and to the association as a whole. And so when you become a member of the Association of Marian Helpers, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna, Brother Mark's going to get upset with me, but I didn't make a slide. But M-I-C-Prayers.com. M for Marian, I Immaculate, C for Conception. M-I-C, Prayers, one word, Dot com. I think Mark might have gotten that up on the slide. That'd be awesome if we can. MICprayers.com. You can become a member of this association and have the extra protection speculatively. I can't promise definitively because we don't know. But it seems to make sense that a principality would be looking over us. So God bless if you can do that. All right, let's keep going. I'm sorry I'm running a little bit late. When did I receive my guardian angel? At the moment of conception, even before the grace of baptism. This is amazing. <clears throat> this is because angels are given to human beings on account of our reason, not on account of baptismal grace, surprisingly. You had your guardian angel before you were baptized. That's how God looks out for you. Does my guardian angel have a name? Aha! Uh -huh. This is what many people ask us all the time. Yes, St. Thomas Aquinas says, most certainly God has already named his angels or perhaps <clears throat> the higher angels may have named the lower angels. But Father, can I name my guardian angel? Well, okay, your, your heart's in the right place. You're not going to go to hell because you're, you named your guardian angel, okay? <laughs> we're, not, we're not saying that. But don't think that it's a good thing. It's really actually unfitting. And the reason why it's unfitting is that a human being to name an angel would mean you have dominion over it. Naming of someone goes back to old tradition and the Old Testament that you have dominion over someone or something when you give it a name. All right. Um, the parent gives a name to the child. They have dominion over that child. It gives a name to a pet. They have the dominion over that pet. But a human being does not have dominion over an angel, okay? The angel's there to protect you. It's fitting because a superior does not, or excuse me, an inferior does not name a superior. And by grace, we know the story there. Angels are higher by nature, and that's the reason that we're saying this here. All right, so avoid some uh, popular errors when it comes to angels, all right? Popular devotion to the holy angels can sometimes get a little bit too far ahead of yourself. All right, don't get caught in these traps. Um, it is legitimate to have a devotion to the holy angels. We need that. Um, but they can, however, give rise to some deviations that you don't want to do. Again, don't freak out if you've done some of this. Just, just fix it. That's, you know, just fix it. It's okay. Instead of having a moral commitment or a fundamental trust in God and the gospel and humility and prayer, sometimes we put too much stock in the angels. Some people believe 
that as man, we are helpless against the bad angels. So they do all of these um, devotions that I, I got to have my guardian angel. And in some sense, this is true. But basically, I'm completely helpless. I can't do anything. The bad angel will come and, and absolutely um, turn me into mincemeat. And, 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 and that we are at the mercy of the demonic spirits. No, that's not true. You have free will. And the demons can't touch your will. They can tempt you. They can shove junk into your intellect, into your mind, make you think things, just reject it. But they can't touch your will. So you are not at their mercy. And your guardian angel helps you to stay out of that trap. All right. They have the power to completely overcome us. No. They have the power to tempt you. Not to overcome you. The grace of God is always there to get you out of that. All right. There's a tendency to put all setbacks on, 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 on the evil one and all success on, on your guardian angel. Okay. In a sense, that's good, but don't, I always laugh. Don't be like my cameraman, Giuseppe, my cameraman, Giuseppe, <clears throat> who messes up and forgets to push record. And I have to redo an entire talk because he forgot to push record says, Oh father, I'm sorry. It was the evil one. Well, okay. Yeah, okay, the evil one would love to see that happen, but sometimes it's just our negligence, <laughs> okay? Sometimes it's just our negligence. Don't be so quick to always blame just the evil one. We have free will, and sometimes it is our lack of attention, um, holiness, detail. I'm not saying my cameraman just said it was those things, but it might have been partly from the lack of attention to detail. All right, so kind of a cute example there. All right. The practice of assigning names to the holy angel should be discouraged because they already have a name. Like in scripture, we have the cases of Gabriel, Raphael, Michael. These names are contained in holy scripture or given by God to them or by the higher angels. All right. How many angels are there who were picked to be guardian angels? Well, it was the number of human beings for sure. But it is likely that this choir from which the guardian angels come has far more angels in it than the number of human beings who have ever lived. <clears throat> How many human beings? I, I like to tease my seventh grade class with science questions all the time. And I ask them, how many human beings are alive today? And sometimes some of them know about seven and a half billion approaching eight billion. And then I ask them, but nobody's ever known this answer. Anybody know how many human beings have lived since the beginning of time? And actually, science has a pretty good example, um, estimate. They have their ways of being able to tell. And, and science says about 115 billion people have probably lived since the beginning of time. Now, again, we don't totally know that definitively, but science does not contradict the Bible or our Catholic faith. You know, people say, oh, Father, the Catholic Church crushed Galileo because they didn't want the science. No. Science, the Catholic Church didn't crush Galileo because they didn't want science out there. In fact, they wanted the true science out there. But what they told Galileo was, just make sure that this assumption you're making, this hypothesis, that the earth revolves around the sun, which appears to contradict scripture, just make sure it's right before you teach it as science. And he didn't listen. He taught it as science when it was still yet a hypothesis. Uh, a hypothesis. Now, that doesn't mean he wasn't right. He ended up being right. But that's not what the church was trying to do in squash science. 
They were just trying to protect the gospel or the scriptures, uh, the, the Old Testament, the, the Bible. It just seems that the black eye the church gets for that may be a little bit unfounded. But the bottom line, the church is trying to protect and we've always embraced science. Anyway, back to the point. If about 115 people, billion, have lived since the beginning of time, I also have another personal belief, and this is not dogmatic. This isn't even doctrine. This isn't even small t tradition. This is not even pious tradition. This is my own version of speculative theology. So please, for what it's worth, this is just what Father Chris believes. But you know, if all of us were taken outside into our yards today and nailed to a cross, that nail that would be nailed into us. And by the way, I did a talk on the Shroud of Turin a while ago, and I should have mentioned this. A lot of science talks about where Christ was nailed. And yeah, the, was he nailed in the wrist versus the hands? And it's interesting because on the front of many images of Jesus, um, we see the nails in the palms and uh, the image of divine mercy. We see the, the nail marks in the palms, but yet science says he would have been nailed through the wrists and on the shroud, the backhand of Jesus's hands as he's laying in the shroud shows the nail mark on the wrist. So which is it? Was Jesus nailed in the palms or the wrists? The answer is we don't know for sure. But Brother Mark found some science stuff on, um, online that I thought was very fascinating that says it's quite possible that Christ was nailed through the front of the palm and that nail went through the carpal bones and muscles and came out the back of the wrist. So if somebody says, Father, Christ was nailed in the palm and another person says adamantly he was nailed in the wrist, you might both be right because it's possible that the nail went in the palm, through at an angle and out the wrist, which would make sense on what we see in the shroud, but what we also see on apparitions in the palm, I'm sorry, the wrist for the uh, shroud, but yet in the palm for some devotions when Christ appears to people. Anyway, I'm not here for that, but what I am here to say is this. I personally believe that if we were all taken out into the yard today and nailed to a cross, I would feel the pain of the nail going into my hand. And you would feel the pain of the nail going into your hand. And your neighbor would feel the pain of the nail going into their hand. But we wouldn't feel the physical pain of each other. We're separate human beings. I wouldn't feel the pain, physical pain. I might emotionally feel the pain, but physically, I wouldn't feel the pain of the nail going into your hand and you wouldn't feel the pain of the nail going into my hand. I personally believe that if the world ended tonight and 115 billion people lived, or let's even take it out. Let's say the world ends when 200 billion people have lived for all eternity. Did Jesus die for all those 200 people? Uh, no, Father, he didn't die for people in hell. Yes, he did. Christ redeemed all of mankind. Every single human being who ever lived has been redeemed. Will every single person be saved? No. We know people will turn away from God. We know that. Hell exists. So let's say Jesus died. Hypothetically, the world ends when 200 billion people have lived. Or make it easy, the world ends tonight. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Please don't send me letters or tell your bishop, Father Chris, that the world is ending tonight. I, I, we don't know that. Nobody knows. 
But let's suppose the world ended tonight and 115 billion people lived since the beginning of time. I personally believed that since Jesus died for each and every human being who ever lived, that Jesus would feel the pain of that nail in his hands, in his feet, and that spear in the side. One, not just for himself. In other words, he wouldn't feel it like you or I would. One nail being driven in, which would be horrible enough. I believe that Jesus would feel that pain for 115 billion times greater. Can you even imagine? It's fitting to me because he died for every human being and paid their debt, which is death. And so he went to the cross to pay that debt of death for each one of you who ever lived. And if 115 billion people have lived, it seems to make sense to me that he would feel that nail mark 115 billion times more. That boggles my mind and brings me to tears to see that we have a God that is that loving. Incredible. But that again, please let me reiterate, is my personal belief. That is not church teaching, but it's something to me that I ponder in prayer and meditation. All right, so I'm getting way behind. I'm so sorry. Let's keep going. The only limit to the number of angel guardian angels is the number of human beings, not the number of angels. The pious tradition, again, now we're going to small t, not church teaching, but tradition is, you know when the world will end? Father, nobody knows when the world will end. Correct. We don't know the day or the hour. But some saints have said the world will end when the number of human souls that enters into heaven replaces the number of angels that fell from the sky that day. Fascinating. All right. Our guardian angels do all they can to help us. But since they are not omniscient, what does that mean? All knowing. They are not omniscient like God. God knows everything. The angels do not. Even Satan is not completely omniscient like God. It is up to us to communicate with them, pray for their help, express our thoughts to them as an act of free will. It is to our benefit to not have secrets from our guardian angel, to basically explain our inner heart. Because our guardian angel is surely our best friend in this world after God and Mother Mary. This is true, and this is a powerful gift. All right, let's keep going. Can my guardian angel work with other guardian angels to accomplish something great? Yes, we believe this in tradition. Padre Pio used to regularly send his guardian angel to work with other people's guardian angels. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Padre Pio, please send your guardian angel to work with my guardian angel. All right, the angels rejoice when they're able to work together for our greater good when we give permission. Have you ever asked somebody's guardian angel to help your guardian angel, especially a great saint? All right, let's keep going on these questions about the angels. Good stuff. All right, how many angels can fit on the head of a pin? No, just kidding. Just joking. Just joking. All right, here's the point. There is a prayer of consecration to your guardian angel. You can find it. I'm sorry, I don't have time to explain that, the, the entire thing, but it's beautiful. You can do a consecration to your guardian angel. You can find it online. But here's the point. Do absolutely a powerful thing is to do adoration. Why? Because your guardian angel has been assigned to stick to you, to stay with you. And if you never go before the presence of God in adoration or the Holy Mass, you're cheating your guardian angel. 
If you don't go before God in adoration or the church, well, Father, they're not open right now. Okay, God knows that. If your church is not open, you can't get to adoration or holy mass. Right now, you can unite by the desire. You unite with God through desire. But when your church is open, go to adoration. Then they will be with you in the presence of God at the same time. You're giving your guardian angel the best favor ever to give him in return. We're going now, guardian angel, together to the throne of God. Now, let's look at the next slide. The gift of your guardian angel is also to offer holy communion and gratitude. This is awesome. This was sent to us. This was a prayer card from 1924 that was sent. Look at that beautiful gift there. That child there you see is the guardian angel when receiving holy communion. One of the best gifts you can do for your guardian angels to offer holy communion in gratitude. In gratitude for the work and the ministry of your guardian angel. Remember, St. Faustina said, the angels envy man for only two things. If they were capable of envy, the angels would only envy man for two things. One, that we can suffer, surprisingly, because <clears throat> angels can't suffer. And when we suffer, we imitate our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross who suffered for redemption. And the second reason that angels would, if capable of envy, would envy man, holy communion. Because we can receive Holy Communion. We're body and spirit. They are not. They do not receive Holy Communion. And so the gift you offer through the grace of your Holy Communion for them is incredible. It's an incredible grace for them. Catechism 333 says, The angels will be present at God, Christ's return. I'm sorry. The angels will be present at Christ's return, which they will, which they will announce and to serve at his judgment. The bottom line is we want to utilize these guys as an army. They're a forgotten army. Let's utilize them. All right. I got one last page left. Pope Francis, quote. Here's a quote from Pope Francis. Guardian angels exist. They are not imaginative doctrine, but companions that God has placed beside us in life's journey and should be listened to because it is dangerous to reject our travel companion. How often have we heard uh, I should do this. I should not do that. That's not right. Be careful. It is the voice of our traveling companion, our guardian angel. Be sure that he will guide us to the end of our lives with advice. And so listen to his voice. Don't rebel against it. Ask yourself, how is my relationship with my guardian angel? Do I listen to him? Do I say good morning to him? Do I ask him, watch over me when I sleep? Do I speak to him? Do I ask his advice? He is by my side. How is our relationship with this angel that the Lord has sent to watch over me and accompany me and who always sees the face of the Father who is in heaven? Amazing. So that's a beautiful quote. And that leads us to our last section here, to allying, <clears throat> allying with the angels. The reason why evangelization is sometimes so hard for you to do, and me too, and why the world is in such a mess is because we aren't inviting the angels in to help. How many of you have invited your angels in to help in the midst of a mess? This is a powerful tool. The angels, like God, often wait to be invited in to help to clean up our messes. If you're not actively inviting them in, you're missing a great grace from God. The angels can be invited in, invite them in like God, 
they will wait for offers of us to help. Their freedom to help depends on how we welcome them, how we invite them in. Then they can step in more and help. Don't overlook this. We can do this through the chaplet of St. Michael. In the chaplet of St. Michael, you pray to the nine choirs and one from each choir, it is said, will escort you when you approach Holy Communion. That's the promise of the St. Michael chaplet, that when you go to Holy Communion, one of the angels from each of the nine choirs will escort you to Holy Communion. Wow. All right. Other promises, many of them. All right. We're wrapping up. We all know, I want to put this up there, I just had to, one of the great prayers, the guardian angel prayer. I think this is, a, you prayed this as a child. Why don't you go back to it? It's one of the great devotions of the angels is the guardian angel prayer. Let us pray it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side to light, to guard, to rule and guide. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I promised you that I would finish, and I am right now with St. Faustina. St. Faustina had some amazing encounters with angels and her guardian angel. And this is where I, I want to show you that St. Faustina on the screen, right? So you see her on the screen. This was a great nun that our Lord said would help prepare the world for his final coming. I will be doing a talk coming up in a few weeks on the life and spirituality of St. Faustina. So we hope that you'll keep tuning back on these Saturday talks. I know I'm running a little long, but I want to finish with some quotes from St. Faustina. Listen to this. This is from Diary. I'm going to read you a couple passages. The first one is Diary 471. One day when I was at adoration and my spirit seemed to be dying for him and I could no longer hold back my tears, I saw a spirit of great beauty who spoke these words to me. Don't cry, says the Lord. I asked, who are you? He answered me, I am one of the seven spirits who stand before the throne of God day and night and give him ceaseless praise. Did you notice she said one of the seven? This gets interesting. Yet the spirit did not soothe my yearning, but roused me to even greater longing for God. This spirit is very beautiful and his beauty comes from close union with God. <clears throat> this spirit does not leave me for a single moment, but accompanies me everywhere. Then during Holy Mass, before the elevation, this spirit began to sing these words, holy, holy, holy. His voice was like that of a thousand voices. It is impossible to put into words. Suddenly my spirit was united with God. And in that instant, I saw the grandeur and the inconceivable holiness of God. And at the same time, I realized the nothingness I am by myself. Now I start with that because it's going to lead into more passages here. Just finishing. Then I saw one of the seven spirits near me. Again, remember we talked about the seven archangels. <clears throat> Radiate, radiant under a form of light. I constantly saw him beside me when I was riding on the train. Now here's what interesting. This is what makes me personally believe this is her guardian angel. One of the seven. 
Again, I, I'm, I, I can't say this definitively. We don't know. God didn't say so. Faustina didn't say so. But it just, it makes speculative sense to me. I saw an angel as they drove. I saw an angel standing on every church we passed, but surrounded by a light which was paler than that of the spirit who was accompanying me on the journey. And each of these spirits who were guarding the churches bowed his head to the spirit who was near me. This is fascinating. This means that her angel was higher than the angels given to guard churches and dioceses that we just talked about, the principalities. So if her angel next to her had these angels bowing to the, her angel, is it possible that she had one of the archangels? This is fascinating. When I entered the convent gate, the spirit disappeared. I thank God for his goodness, and he gives us angels for companions. Oh, how little people reflect on the fact that they always have beside them such a guest, and at the same time, a witness to everything. Now, that could be good or bad. That's certainly good. But she said, remember, sinners, that you likewise have a witness to all your deeds. Woo! Paragraph 630. So next time we think we're sinning in private, nobody sees us. Your guardian angel is right there. All right. Two quick more short ones. Once, this is paragraph 683. Once I suddenly saw my guardian angel who led me before the throne of God. I passed through great hosts of saints and I recognized many of them whom I knew from their pictures I saw many Jesuits who asked me from what congregation I was. When I answered, they asked, who is your spiritual director? I answered that it was Father A. I think that's Andraj. When they wanted to say more, my guardian angel beckoned me to be silent. And I came before the throne of God. I saw a great and inaccessible light and I saw a place destined for me close to God, but that it was like I, but what it was like, I do not know because a cloud covered it. However, my guardian angel said to me, here is your throne for your faithfulness and fulfilling the will of God. Wow. Paragraph 683. Here's a short one. Paragraph 828. In a strange way, the Lord Jesus makes known to me that a dying soul has need of my prayer. I feel vividly and clearly that spirit who is asking me for prayer. I was not aware that the souls are so closely united and often it is my guardian angel who tells me. So we need to listen. When you go into prayer, ask for the wisdom to hear your guardian angel. And last Short paragraph, 1677. Once when a certain doubt rose within me shortly before Holy Communion, and I talked to you about this. Remember I said earlier, only three times in human history do we know of a seraphim that has uh, turned away from the throne of God, not in defiance, but to aid mankind. And she, she was one. How do we know that? Right here. Shortly before Holy Communion, the seraph was the Lord Jesus. The seraph with the Lord Jesus stood before me again. I asked the Lord Jesus and not receiving an answer, I said to the seraphim angel, this is incredible. This is where I'm going to finish. Could you perhaps 
hear my confession. This is St. Faustina asking an angel, and the angel answered me, no spirit in heaven has that power. You know who the only one who has that power besides God himself, the priest. That is unbelievable. Please go to confession. St. Faustina said, at that moment, the sacred host rested on my lips. That is paragraph 1677. That, my friends, is incredible. That is our gift in the angels. And that is why the last slide that I put up on the chart for you and we're done for today is Catechism 352. The church venerates the angels. Please don't write me saying I worship the angels. We do not worship the angels. We venerate the angels who help on our earthly pilgrimage and protect every human being. Wow. God is so good that he's given us a personal guide to get us into heaven right after the Blessed Virgin Mary. The saints we know about, we always turn to them, but do you turn to your angels? Let's start doing that right now. God bless all of you. And I want to say I'm sorry for those who are tuning in looking for spiritual warfare. There was just so much stuff on angels and so much stuff on spiritual warfare. I will do that next week. So praise be to God. We are so glad you could join us. Stay with us every Saturday at 11 o'clock. And please consider joining the Association of Marian Helpers at micprayers.com. Please consider also getting my DVD, which is uh, we put up on the screen earlier. You can call 1-800-462-7426, or you can also uh, go to thedivinemercy.org slash explaining the faith. There you can order the hard copy DVD or order it via live stream. So know that you are in my prayers. I send my guardian angel to help your guardian angel. I hope you do the same for me. Let us take this beautiful tradition of the church in which some ways is the highest dogmas and let us ask God, or let's better yet, thank God for the tremendous care he gives. One last final thing before the final blessing is I will be posting a new schedule. I greatly apologize. I veered from that schedule now twice. Um, it's just because of adding things to the talks. Um, I will publish a new schedule, but I tell you, just keep coming back every Saturday at 11. I'll try my best to keep bringing you the Explaining the Truth series um, that you can be with us. Um, again, I'm Father Chris Aylar. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you keep coming back. And through the intercession of Mary on this feast day, the queenship of Mary and all the saints, and especially our angels, our guardian angels, may almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why be a Marian helper? Because we, Marian fathers, celebrate a mass for you and all our members each and every day. You can share in all the prayers, good works, and merits of all the Marian priests and brothers around the world. And now you can share the graces just as if you were a Marian priest or brother. Every All Souls Day, we see a mass for all the deceased members of the Association of Marian Helpers. Again, there's no way that after we die, we can help ourselves. But we have to rely on the prayers of those here on earth. And we, members of the Marian Fathers, will be praying for you as a deceased member of our association. You can share in the graces of the perpetual novena to the divine mercy. 
Remember, Jesus told St. Faustina that the chaplet of divine mercy is one of the most powerful prayers we can make. And every day here at the Shrine of Divine Mercy, we pray it and you can share in those graces. So if you have any questions or you want to learn more how to be a Marian helper, please visit micprayers.com or call 1-800-462-7426 and let me personally pray for you and your loved ones. Thank you and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.